guess we can get started. So Andrew can't make it today, I think. He said he would try if he could, but I believe he said he's in Europe. He's in, is it the Netherlands? I think he's in the Netherlands right now. 10 p.m. there, but maybe if he drops in, that'll be great. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're kind of following up the thread of from discussing discussing intelligent infinity, discussing the magical personality and um, adepthood and the disciplines of personality and how that relates to their, at least when they're talking about adepthood and white magic, they're usually talking about the activation of the indigo ray, the pineal center. And so all these topics are kind of for me, they kind of blend together because it's all kind of talking about advanced evolution of the spirit to the point where we're kind of working in a balanced fashion. So I thought for this one, we could go and do more of the the foundations of balancing. Um, and to a degree, we can we can we can hop into some of the aspects of magic. Um, and maybe maybe for a few of these uh, sessions, we can we can kind of cir circle back to what white magic means. And what the indigo ray means, um, because it's also related to balancing and adepthood. Um, so I thought maybe we could start out with, um, maybe I could recap um, 74.11 seemed to be one that I thought would be connecting all the dots for us to start out. All right. So wanted to cover and 74.11 Don asked um, what I'm trying to get at is how the disciplines affect the energy centers and the power shall I say of the white magician could you will you, will you tell me how that works and Ross said the heart of the discipline of the personality is threefold one know yourself two accept yourself three become the creator the third step is that which, when accomplished, renders one the most humble servant of all, transparent in personality, and completely able to know and accept other selves. In relation to the pursuit of the magical working, the continuing discipline of the personality involves the adept in knowing itself, accepting itself, and thus clearing the path towards the great indigo gateway to the creator. To become the creator is to become all that there is. There is then no personality in the sense with which the adept begins its learned teaching. As the consciousness of the indigo ray becomes more crystalline, more work may be done, more may be expressed from intelligent infinity. So it's interesting that this is kind of describing the, the third discipline of the personality, becoming the creator, is sort of integrating the indigo chakra, the indigo gateway to the creator. And this is a process of seeing the self as all that there is. And then giving up the old personality, the illusory husks, they call it at one point. And then as that consciousness becomes more crystalline, more work is done, more expressed from intelligent infinity, which is like the, the mind, the infinite mind working through us. Yeah, so you're like balancing the lower centers in order to allow more energy to flow through you. And then in the indigo ray, you can then contact intelligent energy, which then leads to the contact of intelligent infinity, at which point you basically can then know how to become the creator and you lose your small self and become the actual self, it seems, from, from that point. Yep. And that the whole consciousness of the indigo ray becomes more crystalline. 
just sounds to me like when uh, when you've practiced something, it becomes second nature, you know, and as you as you balance yourself more and more and know yourself more and more, it just becomes second nature to just be like, oh, yeah, I'm talking to myself. It's just, you know, in the form of Mike and Nathan. And it just becomes that instinctual thought as opposed to we are all one come out, come out of a place of love. It just is crystalline. It's just hardened within you. It's like an axiom truth of your being in this iteration. Cause it's always an axiom truth of your greater being, but now it's like an axiom truth of your, your individuated mind, this go around. Yeah. That's where I think you can kind of become to act what they call spontaneous or spontaneous actions at that point. So once you've kind of crystallized that you're then spontaneous and, um, Spontaneous self there basically is then acting in love and towards your highest good, basically, because you crystallize yourself. So you can act that way without having to really think about it, it seems. Right. One of the guys I like to watch, he always says, uh, throw yourself to the wind and let the wind carry you. And it seems like the more crystalline that that is in your being, the easier it is to throw yourself to the wind because you're constantly moving around in exactly the place that you know will benefit you the best in in your experiences on this plane as opposed to like fighting it or getting angry at something that's going on and now you're thinking about that instead of actually being in the flow and going going in the moment to the correct to the i, I shouldn't say correct places but like the optimum places for your greater uh, experience in this plane yeah it's like we're less less and less working on the the mundane lessons that that we hadn't learned yet that are just related to us getting over ourselves getting over our egos and our personal blockages and now it's like we're processing the energies of, of all of all of humanity to a, a much larger extent when we're less focused on ourselves it's like now we're we're working with like this planetary mind and the cosmic mind which are able to like show us the truth of why you know our in, in individual incarnations had the roles that they had had the had the purposes that they had to put ourselves in the position to be helping service being of service to other people in certain ways and i think that's probably you know like when we're like with family members it's like we may have you know certain core traumas and issues that we're still um working through but then but then once once those are done it's like now the whole planet is our family and we have all the different traumas of the planet and it's like it's just a different different level of the self that is what's being processed i think looked at that as that kind of concept too of the doing and being so the lower three energy centers you're more doing to to do the clearing process and to work through those but then the higher energy centers you were then being and you're just kind of expressing expressing that life and being lived at that point in the higher energy centers and able to then pull from at least that greater knowledge i think you were kind of pointing right. out mike yeah. Yeah. And it's like le less about the, the specifics and more about the, the philosophy. Yeah. The philosophy yeah. of, of the spiritual path and becoming the, the nature of that wisdom that, that then we don't have to worry about what we're doing in this life. We're just automatically living the philosophy for other people to see in that radiant way. And I think that is the, what you just said at the end there is the exact, the way that people don't realize that they're affecting the planetary consciousness you know if if people can see your patience if people can see your love if people can see the way that you interact with the world from that plane then you know 
you, you're leading by example. You're, you're being the change, you know, like uh, Gandhi said, being the change that you want to see, but you're also being the change that other people may not even realize that they want to see. So you, you just being that way can be the spark that helps someone else be like, you know what, that, that, that person looks like they are enjoying life. Whereas I'm fighting life. And what are they doing different? Like, Oh, okay. They're going around with love and I'm going around with, you know, just aggravation or, you know, pick any of the negative, uh, any of the opposite side of love attributes of life, you know, anything that can just agitate you and anything like that. But they'll just see this peaceful serenity being moving through life. Like, Oh, and they're going to have that moment of insight. Yeah. I mean, I, I know I've had it with so many people in my life and, and I could be in the middle of, you know, a loving day, one thing trips me up and then you see that loving person and you go like, okay, go back to that. Go back to the lovingness, you know, don't let any of this other stuff distract you. Right. So I guess we could, maybe we could jump up, jump to number uh, session 10. Now, I feel like this is one of the most central um, teachings that they put, they put in 10.14. Um, where they asked for general development of the reader of this book, could you state some of the practices or exercises to perform to produce an acceleration toward the law of one? And then with exercise one, they just go straight to love. This is this is the most nearly centered and usable within your illusion complex. Maybe we should come back and read each of these portions little by little because um, yeah, it's it's great to dive into this and and, and really break it apart. Um, so they said. This exercise one is the moment contains love. So that is the lesson or goal of this illusion or density, the third density. The exercise is to consciously seek that love in awareness and understanding distortions. The first attempt is the cornerstone. Upon this choosing rests the remainder of the life experience of an entity. The second seeking of love within the moment begins the addition. The third seeking powers the second, the fourth powering or doubling the third. As with the previous type of empowerment, um, I think they're talking about the, the calling, the exponential nature of the calling. There will be some loss of power due to the to flaws within the seeking and the distortion of insincerity. However, the conscious statement of self to self of the desire to seek love is so central and active will that as before, the loss of power due to this friction is inconsequential. That, so... That Go ahead. The first, when he says that the first is the choosing, and then the second and the third is like this doubling, tripling, this exponential growth effect, and that that speaks to the crystalline uh, quote from before. You know, at a certain point, it it becomes second nature, and it's easier and easier and easier. And even though you know you're on this this planet, living in this thing, and the, and other things can get in your way, it says that the friction is inconsequential because you're coming from that place where. You've already confirmed with yourself, this is what I want to do. This is how I want to be. So, you know, the further you get down that path, the harder it is uh, for something within this realm to, to shake you loose of it. Right. I read that as like intention is really what I take out of that the most. What you're intending, so what you have behind, um, what your initial intent is, is some of the most powerful, but then you can then strengthen that by the additional attempts there. But if you have that intention to find that love in the moment, um, any any situations where you maybe aren't visualizing that or 
fall out of that, it's almost inconsequential is the way I see that as well, too, from what Ra's saying, because you've already, as you're saying, crystallized or um, kind of instilled that in yourself with, with that strong intention. Yeah. And this seems like uh, the two type of people, like a pessimist or an optimist, you know, the moment contains love. Don't remember, you know, don't forget. There's always love. So anytime you might be choosing pessimism, don't forget every moment contains love. You'll, you'll find if you look through the right lens at life, you will always find something to be happy about. And I'm also reminded of the, um, the transformation of the spirit archetype. Uh, they said when discussing that, that it's, it's a matter of disciplining the consciousness with will and faith. So when you're, when you have the faith that seeking love is the, is the path. And when you have the will to seek love, you have those, those two ingredients to, to continue, continue to refine your consciousness. The more and more you're engaging in the will of, of basically um, seeking love and awareness and understanding distortions and the faith that there's actually value to that. You'll keep on getting more and more out of it. I think. Yeah, that so speaks would, to the doing as well. You know, right. like a lot of people want to sit around and, and, and do a lot of the mental work, but, you know, the house doesn't get built unless you swing the hammer. Yeah. So let's, let's, let's dive into each of these words here because this is such a powerful statement passage for me. So they say this is the most nearly centered and usable. What do you think I mean by centered? core you know the 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 cornerstone you know the the foundation that's that's how i read it like the most centered you can you can get all the other stuff that's in the periphery but if you get this you're you're taking the right first step yeah yeah the lessons are all kind of around love that we're learning and this is kind of yeah. at the center the center of the lesson is seeking love itself yeah And so the, the, it's interesting, they start out with saying just the moment contains love. Like this is, this is like we have to remind ourselves of this before we attempt the exercise of seeking the love of the moment. We have to remember that it, it's there already. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Stop blocking it. Everybody says we got to go seek it. Like maybe your lack of love doesn't have anything to do with the fact that you haven't found it out there. Maybe it has a lot more to do with the fact that it's already there and you're, you're doing it to yourself. You're stopping yourself from recognizing it within each moment. And this to me also speaks of the, the reason that they, they called love the, the second distortion, because it's like if, if everything in the universe, all of the intelligent energy manifested all of matter and energy, if that all came because of love, and th then it's impossible for the moment in which we're experiencing the universal energies for that not to be based in love, for that not to be coming from love. So I think that's that's the the logic of the philosophy, I think, that this this moment is founded upon love, and certainly it contains love. If we don't see that love yet, we know it's it's containing love. Another way I thought of that is maybe they're talking about the potential. The potential of love is contained because they talked about going into the grocery store as an analogy of the way we're choosing our catalysts and our experiences. We can, we can pick from the 
we can pick our experiences basically from a shelf of potentials. And one of those potentials is always the highest and best, you know, understanding of light and love. So those are two different ways. I wondered if that's what they mean. I looked at it as the way you were kind of initially describing there. So you think of love as the creative principle as what is behind everything. Then like you're saying, you can't, it cannot not be in, in every moment, basically. So it's part of it, whether you realize it or not. Yeah. It's like if you had the coin and 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 each moment was a coin. The coin is love. The head side is full love and the tail side is you're looking at it with the absolute least amount of love that you can look at it at, but it's still the coin. The coin is still love. So it, it you know what I mean? Like it's it's that whole law of uh, polarity where it's it's all the coin. Just what side of the coin are you looking at? What angle are you looking at it from? Yeah. I, I had an experience that I, I think I've sh I shared a long time ago that um, I was driving. I was thinking about this passage and we were driving on a road trip with with my wife, Elizabeth, and we had her, her dog, Baxter, our dog in the backseat. And um, and Baxter was farting. <laughs> and, and I was like, oh, man, where's the love in this in this stench? <laughs> I was like, oh, well, well the love is is the stench is reminding us of Baxter and our love for him. And so clearly, if you just trace back the distortions, if you just trace it back in the mind, where is it coming from? It's always coming from love on some level. We we chose to have this experience out of love. And there's always um, like the, the root of every experience has the lessons or the, the, the nature of love kind of written into it. Yeah, and I think yeah. uh, I've kind of considered some of that before too. With you can think of highly negative situations as well, like how how can I find the love in this moment? I think it's even uh, Jim McCarty brings it up. Well, if you can't physically see or find that love in the moment, then you should be that love in the moment to at least embrace that and and let it flow through you to at least find that love at that time. Yeah, I've never heard that before, but that is awesome. If you can't find it, then be it. Yeah, that really spoke to me because it seems like it's, I mean, I'm sure we can all think of situations that are very hard to find love with or just terrible, negative, so it seems, but you at least have that ability to make that choice to, to, to be that love then. Yeah, there's a quote in A Course in Miracles where they say something like, um, the goal is, if you don't see the love, um, then basically the same thing worded differently. It was like, um, every, every situation is either an expression of love or a call for love. It's it's calling forth love because it's a lack of love. It's calling it up in, into a higher level of of our consciousness so that we can that we can find the love that we were that we weren't seeing in that in that moment. And then if you're if you are in being the embodiment of the love, no matter uh, how grim the situation may seem. If you're being that embodiment, then you may spark it in someone else. And, you, you know, there's there's always people within a room that can light that room just intensely with their personality. And if that person was was in a state of lack of love and you brought the love into the room and then that person was like, oh, right. Yes. And then they lit that room up. You know what I mean? Like you you're one showing of the love spark that cascade that knocked down the down the way and then the whole room's full of it 
the whole room is full of joy and it only took one little spark yep that's that radiation i think we were talking about earlier too there that, that mike brought up you can you could feel it you could see it in the in the moment how it changes everything just by just by radiating that yeah yeah i, I have a um when i was younger there was a a friend of ours who lived down the street and long story short he he wound up uh dying very young i, th I was 14 he was 13 at the time and whenever anybody really young dies the funeral i mean they they have classmates and teachers and i mean the viewing line was out the window and down the block and when i got to his mom because he lived down the street we saw each other all the time and uh uh we just started laughing we just started laughing about all the fun times and you could literally watch it echo down that and i wasn't lying it was up this up the main aisle of the church and out the back and I think it was even an auditorium at Newman College. It wasn't even a church. And it was like down around out the hallway and all. And then you, it went from this somberness and this just just like black cloud hanging over the whole thing to just, you know, laughter and joy echoed down the hallway because you have to remember the joyous moments that you had with that person. But everybody felt like they had to be this somber person. And then myself and, and my brothers and uh uh, our friend Steven, who used to all play together with Ryan, started laughing with his mom about all the times, the good times we had together. And everybody it was like giving everybody permission to be like, oh, right, let's laugh about the good times instead of sitting here mourning this this, you know, very sad occasion. Let's let's rejoice in what we had. Yeah. So we could continue through this. Um, so they said. That is the lesson slash goal. I guess that means they said it together. That is the lesson goal of this illusion or density. The exercise is to consciously seek that love and awareness and understanding distortions. So are these two separate things, the awareness and understanding distortions? That's a good question. Oh. So I guess you could say that under you know understanding love is like what we're, we're like we're give, we're giving a name to it. We're saying this is the second distortion of the universal creation that we that we understand that this is how things work. They work out of you know the, the heart of the infinite creator manifesting in all these different situations for some positive benefit for all of us. That that maybe that's the understanding distortion in the awareness. Maybe that has more to do with the heart. Maybe the actual feeling of the the opening of love in, within us. I don't know. Okay, that would make sense because I was almost thinking consciousness um, for an equivalent to like awareness. So thinking love in consciousness, and then you're understanding the distortions that you experience. But um, yeah, I kind of like where you're going with that. Oh yeah, this yeah, this is interesting that they don't say um, awareness distortions and understanding distortions. They say awareness and understanding distortions. Hadn't thought about that. This. Um, No, I, I suppose they mean awareness distortions and understanding distortions, but it's. The thing that's that still got me hung up is that is the lesson slash goal. And that almost seems like the lesson. And goal. Of the illusion, whereas most of the time when they do the, the slash and this may just be arguing semantics, which were put in by people and 
right. you know, missing Ra's point, but usually it's like the teach learning, you know, the moment that you can teach and learn from, you know, and, and it's, it's almost like uh, two opposites. And this time it seems like it's synonyms. Yeah. Like the lesson and the goal, like the goal of this illusion is to learn the lesson of this illusion. But really, what what they're saying is that this is one word to them. This is one phrase, lesson okay. goal. It's a lesson goal because that's the way they say. It. They don't say slash. They say lesson goal. Right. So I think there's there's in some ways they they mean two sides of the same coin when they say student teacher or honor duty. It's your honor and your duty at the same time because mm -hmm. we have like a more positive connotation on honor than we do on duty. So mm -hmm. we have to have have to have the the two concepts put together so that so that they're understood as one one unified whole with with different balances so maybe lesson has a balance that lesson is leading to something so they had to put goal in there to understand the, the lesson and the goal is the same same idea yeah and two slightly different concepts but what they're trying to get forward is is the totality of the two concepts as one concept yeah right Okay, love and awareness and understanding distortion. Because it's interesting, we don't look at our, our lives in terms of being excited for the next lesson. <laughs> that's that's a lot of a lot of the hardship and the challenges is, is, is lesson. But but if we could perceive the lesson as the goal, <laughs> we're pursuing always after the the lessons. Then, but of course, okay. it, it, it's 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 awesome to know that there's really just one centered lesson which is the seeking of love yeah and and the Thanks being aware of love oh, go ahead Nick. i was just saying and to be aware of the love yeah next it's easy to get caught up in all of the lessons of catalysts and everything being thrown at you and trying to process that and work through it but when you keep that central goal in mind uh makes it a little bit easier to, to process and view through that lens of, of just the moment containing love mm -hmm. So I guess, um, do you, is there anything else you guys would want to comment on with the rest of this? The first attempt is the cornerstone. Um, this is just kind of saying, well, upon this choosing rests the remainder of the life experience of an entity. And that's that's kind that's of like, profound to me. Like saying you're making the choice there kind of, right? So this choice between service to others, service to self, but you're making this choice to to seek that love. So then you are basically choosing to be on the service to others path. Um, and that's how your life will, will progress from there. Right. But that is pretty profound kind of to, to make that sort of statement after, after making those before. Yeah. Yeah. And they say that uh, uh, the first attempt sets you on the path, your whole life is set on the path because the, the moment you start to choose that, then it becomes this thing that, you know, however slowly creeps into your thoughts at all times, just like if you were standing at a trail and you could go north or south, you know, that's that that's your choice. Once you make that choice, you're, you're continuously moving down that path in that direction. But if you never choose to do that seeking of love, then you may have your back to that side of the path at all times. But the, if you walk a mile down the path, not seeking love the moment that you choose to seek love you turn around and you gain that mile back quickly and then start to gain further and further distance 
because you're that that's the path that you've chosen yeah so do you think we chose this path as children i think the opportunity to choose that path as a child is always there it's just a matter of if if you decide to have that first choice like they say you know, if you if you if you have heavy catalysts in your life and you choose to lose yourself in those catalysts, then you may never actually choose, you know, to turn your back on the south path and look at the north path and start taking it that way. I don't think that's to say that that's still not an option, obviously. So it's like that idea of the concept of work. You're building up that potential. Maybe it is in the negative direction, but kind of like what you were saying before, Nick, you can flip that around pretty quickly if you yeah. so choose at some point, but um, it just seems like they're kind of more directing it, I guess, in one way, but the life experience of an entity. So, I mean, I guess really everything you do is part of your experience. So maybe it is, okay, I've been down the negative path from having childhood trauma and difficulties until I got to my later years. And then I've realized how to accept this and to know myself better. And then can I basically flip that around, I guess, to becoming more of a positive experience. Yeah. There's a part of me that thinks, you know, we could easily, they, they say the more power um, and awareness an entity has, the more easy it is to switch between service to self and service to others. So it's as though we still have the ability to, to take another path, but maybe um, they're putting emphasis on the fact that once a choice is made, then, then that, that is really, you're basing your life around that particular choice now. It's like, I guess that's why it's the most central choice between service to self and service to others. That's, it's what we're here for. And then, and then the way in which our fourth density is structured, they say, and our fifth density is, is based upon the choice that started in third density. So, so everything that, that, that starts from this choice to be of service to others, what really it's also like the choice to see in terms of oneness with others or to see only in terms of separation and, and I'm, I'm, I'm God and they are not. And they call that like the passive path of falsity that there's the, the the self is seen as separate and then you have reason to manipulate and you're not seeing others as one so that that the choice of sight really to see the oneness might be why it's 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 so hard to to go back once you've once you've seen um well i guess once you once you've strongly chosen i guess it's you're not going back anymore yeah it's uh, uh, David Icke has a pretty cool um, picture that he shows, and the and the picture is it's a bunch of flowers with long stems, and they got flower buds up at the top, and uh, there's some stuff on the ground and all that. And you look at it, and you're like, oh, it's a picture of flowers, but in the middle, in the empty space between the stems, is the word sex, and you can never not see that. I've seen it with love as well, but uh, I know David I usually uses the other one. But but once you see it, you can't unsee it. That picture is never the same for you to get. You, yeah. you can never just see the flowers ever again once you see the words in the middle. And I think that's that's you know what they're talking about because you know no matter how dark it is, if you choose that one time to see the light, the light is never gone. You may move further from the light, so it seems darker, but the light is always there. And it's always very easy in a dark room to be like, oh, there's the candle. No matter how big the room is and how far away you get, you know, I've, I've been in uh, uh, like tunnels, like 
like railroad track tunnels before. And it's just like they say, you can always see the light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, you know, unless there's a curve or something, but that, that tunnel could be extremely dark. But once you've seen it, you, you know, it's, it's over there. Close your eyes, turn around. Oh yeah, it's over there. And then you can choose to walk closer and then the light grows until you get to that doubling, tripling and that exponential growth effect. Yeah. I suppose anything is possible with our, our path. We can, we can choose to become completely, um, completely deviated from our path, but we can still, um, I guess, I guess at some point in our, in our dream state or, um, you know, you know, our higher self is continuously guiding us back onto the path. So I guess there's, there's always going to be a way back. And then it goes back to what Nathan was saying, where, you know, if there, if you can't see the love, that's your opportunity to be the love. And you can be, you know, if that person is living in the dark room, you can be that one little light. And then once they see it again, once they see it, they, they always have the option to go back to it. You always have that choice to, to be that. So maybe this would be a good time to, oh yeah, we can continue on to the other exercises now. And um, it's 10.14 here. Um, they said the universe is one being. When a mind-body-spirit complex views another mind-body-spirit complex, see the creator. This is a helpful exercise. This is a much more simple um, exercise in, in terms of how they're explaining it. Um, but I think that being able to see the creator in somebody else, it, it seems like within that is rolled, rolled in the idea that you have to be open to love of that other person. Yeah. And, and they, it's almost they, like this is taking it to this, just the next level of yeah. how much do you love them? Do you love them as the infinite creator? Do you love them as your guru, your, your, the, the holy creator? And these seem right. to just feed off of each other. Once you know one the other helps once you know the other it helps with the one it's almost like a test to like confirming your decision on this point to see the love in the moment okay we're going to present you with another self that's difficult and is going to give you a hard time but you need to then find that love in the moment and see them as the creator as equal to you so i kind of view some of these things almost as little little tests to almost uh continue strengthening your your decision or your your choice to be of service and to see the love in the moment And then gaze within a mirror and see the creator. And I don't know, I've, I've struggled with mirrors at different points with this. It's like, what, what is narcissism? What, what is this? <laughs> That's what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's, I, I always say that there's a certain, there's a line between pride and hubris. You can have pride uh, without being full of yourself, you know, and, and that can be how you show the world. You know, but then there's when I read this, I immediately went to anybody who's done enough uh, like mushrooms or any kind of hallucinogen has gotten stuck in a bathroom and not stuck. But like you're just in the bathroom or you're looking at your hand or you're looking for me. It's always into the pupils in the mirror. And, you know, you just dive into the universe through your own eyes. So it's not like looking at yourself like, oh, this is, oh, let's get this all together and, you know, get it all prim and proper. It's more of like 
can you see the whole universe in there? And do you know, do you like what you see? You know, have you been a good example of the universe? And then you look into your soul and, and can see it and analyze it. Yeah. And when you see something other than the creator, other than the universe, what is that that you haven't worked through yet, basically? Yeah. Yeah. Especially people that don't have enough love for themselves, you know, because at, at the one end of the spectrum, you have hubris and, and there's perfectly, there's examples of that all over the world. You know, it, it's easy to see that kind of stuff. What's a little bit harder to see is that person that needs help seeing the love for themselves. Some people just cut themselves up all the time. And you're like, geez, man, that must be a heavy, must be a heavy life. Just constantly criticizing yourself. You know, remember love, love can be in that moment. And we're all one, you know, you're over there poo-pooing yourself. You're poo-pooing me at the same time. You know, let's, let's bring that up. I think that ties in with some of the, I think they brought up about Carla having um, difficulties with unworthiness, which again is an indigo ray um, sort of uh, condition as well too. But then if you can accept yourself and be able to look at yourself in the mirror and understand that you are worthy and that you are just as equally the creator, then you're, you're strengthening also the indigo ray at that point too. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like there's been different layers for me uh, with, this these concepts the worthiness and the seeing the creator in myself and others and it seems like there's really no upper limit to our perception of what that means when we, we think of the name the word god you know what is what is what does god mean to people in churches what does god mean to people uh, when they when they see god in one another and i think that we're it's easy for it to just be a word it's easy to yeah. say Yes, I'm I'm calling you God, <laughs> but it's it's harder for me to see that that there's you know the the creator of other galaxies is like this this principle which is um is, it taps into infinity which is also contained in inside of each of us and it's like that's accessible that's that's real and it's it's this powerful engine of of love that's right there. And it's easy to think of yourself as finite and you know like you said to 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 imagine the infinity within yourself is a is a lot harder you know it's easy to look up in the space and see just just tons and tons of stars and, and it just goes on forever you know that's easy to do the, to, to look inward and see that infiniteness uh it's a lot harder yeah so i assume it's just like a ladder going up and as we open our hearts more and more we become more and more just like that previous quote we become more and more integrated with the indigo more and more of that which we seek the one infinite creator with each transformation yeah just keep thinking of the crystalline uh crystalline uh quote where they were talking about it crystallizing and you start with like the red energy center and and you're survival needs and then you move up to the uh um orange and and you're looking at like uh 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 greater needs around you and then you you're looking at the social needs and then like as you become hardened crystalline 
in these areas, it just is that much easier. Like you're saying, climbing up the ladder and to, to be, um, be that love in the moment for any person around you as well as yourself. And it just becomes that much easier. It's it's like, um, they always say that like money makes every money makes life easier. Well, you know, money makes the first couple chakras easier because that's the kind of society that we live in. But then at a certain point, it's up to you to crystallize those other uh, chakras. And some people can hard or I, I keep saying harden, but that seems like such a bad word to like become like a rock and, and, and not crystalline seems so much better because now you're, you're just, you're just sturdy and the light can pass through a crystal. So I, I, I keep trying to correct myself with Harden, but the, the, to make those chakras crystal means to make them stable and, and the light can still pass through. Them. I think and, another word they use is regularized. Yeah. Yeah. And, and harmonizing and things like that. I mean, all these things mean to balance and the more balance you can go through life with, with your thoughts as well as your actions, the better you and all of the things around you will become. Yeah, regularizing and crystallizing. Patterns of vibration. Yeah. And it's also interesting because they said that um, crystals are frozen light. And it's, it's just this constant talk of harmonics and vibration and light is a vibration. And uh, to crystallize is to harden the vibration of light. It's, it's, it's all about, it's, it's almost like they're constantly trying to teach you like, look, everything's a vibration, everything, your emotions, your body, this chair that you sit on, absolutely everything's a vibration. Think of it like that and balance your vibration. Right. Yeah. They, they talk about crystals specifically that way too. The, um, the use of the crystal and physical manifestation is that use where an entity of crystalline nature charges the regularized physical crystal with the seeking thus enabling it to vibrate harmonically and also become the catalyst or gateway whereby intelligent infinity may thus become intelligent energy this crystal serving as an analog of the violet ray of the mind body spirit in relatively undistorted form yeah, so, so much there that crystallizing thing yeah and it's interesting this also i was thinking in terms of the what, what they say about the at churches when you're taking the the sacraments the communion it's becoming jesus and it's like we could do that with all of our food potentially too we're seeing the food we're, we're putting love in the food as we're cooking we're seeing that becoming the, the infinite creator we ingest that and, it, and we see ourselves become the infinite creator because we are seeing it all as, as one regularized purified form but of course there's not a crystalline nature to food we eat it just kind of passes through like liquid um but and I think it has a lot to do with the, the way modern society is as well. You know, uh, when uh, we were taught to make ghee and when we eventually made it on our own, uh, it's crazy. It's, it's crazy how just this simple act of um, all you're doing is boiling butter. And it can take we, we've had times where we made ghee in 15 minutes and we had times where the ghee didn't make. Same, same thing, we've used four, stuck, uh, four sticks of unsalted organic butter, and it's taken 15 minutes, same, same type of butter from the same place, it's taken an hour and a half. 
and and it all has to do with the energy you know energy in the all the vibrations around you where the planet is in the universe but it also has a lot to do with you the people you're with the energy you're putting into it and i think that has a lot to do with the whole uh church and the and the host and the and the eucharist and all that as well you could make all of your food vibrational uh nourishment that, that feeds you from the inside out but unfortunately you know a lot of people in this society they eat their lunch at their desk or they eat standing or they eat while they're driving and, and it's just kind of like a formality instead of uh you know a nourishing the vibration from within you right and isn't that it's funny coincidence we basically just went into exercise four gaze at the creation which lies about the mind body spirit complex of each <laughs> entity. see the creator <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah i had not met the connection until just now that yeah that's the food too yeah that's the food and the thoughts uh, around the food there's a lot of things that can lie to you about it it's it's the recognition of it that really helps you grow yeah Yeah, this one I have had I have had other struggles with this too. It's like how do I see the dirt as as God? But of course I can see the dirt as part of a a system, the planet. And I can see the planet as having a function of of growing and, and building consciousness through all everything that it offers. But I guess I guess when they're building the pyramids, there's a suggestion that the um you know seeing they're speaking to the 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 infinite creator in the rock maybe i should pull that up the living rockness oh yeah that one. they call it the everlasting rock or something where they're basically yeah mentally communicating with i'd almost call the atoms of it it seems like to mm -hmm. to develop that and have them reorganize into the form we see as the pyramid yeah yeah so so they said that they um yeah, let, let's let's read this. So they said, how are the blocks moved? And Ross said, you must picture the activity within all that is created. The energy is, though finite, quite large compared to the understanding distortion of your peoples. This is an obvious point well known to your peoples, but little considered. The energy in everything is intelligent. It is hierarchical. Much as your mind-body-spirit complex dwells within a hierarchy of vehicles and retains, therefore the shell or shape or field and the intelligence of each ascendingly intelligent or balanced body, so does each atom of such a material as rock. When one can speak to that intelligence, the finite energy of the physical or chemical rock body is put into contact with that infinite power which is resident in the more well-tuned bodies, be they human or rock. I'm going to read that again. When one can speak to that intelligence, the finite energy of the physical or chemical rock body, its finite energy in the physical or chemical rock body is put into contact with that infinite power which is resident in the more well-tuned bodies, be they human or rock. With this connection made, a request may be given. The, the intelligence of infinite rockness communicates to its physical vehicle and that splitting and moving which is desired is then carried out through the displacement of the energy field of rockness from finity to a dimension which we may call conveniently simply infinity 
So the intelligence of the infinite rockness communicates to its physical vehicle. And this way, be... oh, go oh, ahead. Wait, sorry. I was just going to say, it seems to me like that's maybe putting like the rock in contact with intelligent energy or intelligent infinity. But then behind that, you're almost putting a request in there as well, too, on if the rock is so choosing at that point to manifest in this physical vehicle form of of the pyramids, it will do so. I, I don't know if I'm right, but that's just kind of the way I'm reading that as you're going through right. It again. Right. Yeah. It's like, always... I, th I think when you're in the state of intelligent infinity, you see all of the rocks as a part of you, too. Yeah. The oneness of them. Yeah. And you, I think you're touching more on the uh, the core of where everything comes from, you know, the the consciousness, the the um, to put it in uh, the quantum physics terms that I've understood best, they talk about it like this sea of pure potentiality, you know, where everything comes from, and then it it uh, manifests into the physical form from that place, and you're communicating at it while it's at that place, just as it's about to manifest. And it makes me think of that movie Phenomenon with John Travolta when he's like spinning the glasses and they're like, how are you doing that? How are you moving the glasses? And he says, uh, I'm not moving the glasses. I'm just asking them to move. And like that movie, when he said that kind of stuff, I was like, oh, Jesus. OK, here we go. And that was way before I read The Law of One or anything. That started that thought uh, tripping into my mind. And then uh, the. Uh, let me see if I can find this quote by uh, Nassim Harriman, where he talks about you're you're made out of 100 trillion cells, one times 10 to the 14th. Each cell is made of 100 trillion atoms. So that's a thousand billion billion chemical changes a second to run the hundred trillion cells in your body that are dividing at a million cells a second. And if the universe is random and mostly empty space, that's pretty determined randomness. So like there's there's just this ever growing possibility, you know, and the fact that you are you from second to second while all of this is going on, you know, speaks to the determination of you to be you. And then you can put that determination into the rock because the rock has the same thing, you know, whether it's made out of granite or sandstone or whatever it is, it's still made out of. Uh, a, a cell or, or a, um, a um, an element and that element is made out of and it's just this infinitely growing the smaller you look down till you get to that point where it is mind and you can affect it with mind if you speak to it at that level yeah it's also interesting to me do do you put in a request if you want to move your hand do you, yeah. do you have to request the cells in the hand the muscles do you have to request that they do these things and do they ever when you when your arm falls asleep is it not responding now even though you're putting in a request the request yeah. is not being honored <laughs> and when you're and when you're a baby uh i was just home and uh the the girl across the street brought her her little daughter over and she was going bye and i said bye and she went <laughs> and then she started doing this like she had to figure out like I can do that, you know, put it in the request, but is it actually doing what I asked? It is doing what I asked it to. If we could only do that with the rocks, we could build our own pyramids all over the place. Right. Like the interaction with the roots of mind, your conscious mind requesting something of your unconscious to then be able to manifest basically through through that form, it seems. But 
Yeah, that is interesting to think. Yeah. Yeah, we're constantly manifesting ourselves. You know, because just like Nassim Harriman said, it's it's insane that the hundred billion, trillion, billion cells in your body all get together and continue to get together to make the same you. You know, you to think that you're unconsciously manifesting that all the time. If you actually put some conscious thought into that and some conscious uh, some intention behind it, you know, to go back to what Nathan was saying, put that intention there. What could we do? But you know, everybody's just. It's like mindful living. Everybody's pulled in all these different directions by the, you know, the momentum of life and the momentum of society. If you were to actually just get a group of people to sit and put intent in one direction, how much could it sway all of the rest? Yeah. While you were saying that, I was thinking, I can't remember if I'm remembering this right, if this was in the material there, but having to do with the Atlanteans and them kind of perverting some of this power and basically giving conscious life to other entities, therefore they could create them through what I would imagine would be the similar kind of methodology here, but ended up being a perversion of, of the law of one and using it that way. But I don't know, Mike, do you remember that or am I, am I going on a limb here? Yeah. And I, I, it's hard to remember what about Atlantis came from other things that I've, I've read too. I know that's where I'm maybe getting a little they, mixed but they up. Create, they mentioned life forms. Yeah. Um, um me find where they mentioned that they were able to create yeah i'll, I'll read this part the landing the Atlantean race was a very conglomerate social complex which began to form approximately thirty-one thousand years in the past of your space-time continuum illusion it was a slow-growing and very agrarian society until approximately fifteen thousand years ago it reached quickly a high technological understanding which caused it to be able to use intelligent infinity in a less informative manner we may add that they used intelligent energy as well, manipulating greatly the natural influxes of the indigo or pineal ray from divine or intelligent energy. Thus, they were able to create life forms. This they began to do instead of healing and perfecting their own mind-body-spirit complexes, turning their distortions towards what you may call the negative. Yeah, that's the one I was thinking. So you're kind of contacting intelligent infinity intelligent energy and almost making other creations consciously aware i guess or giving them consciousness from that point which is right a little mind-boggling but does that happen when we make a baby <laughs> that's <laughs> blowing my mind right now with my son am i my son still i don't know <laughs> yeah but it seems like the atlanteans got to that point where they they knew uh they knew that all was one. They were able to um, consciously manipulate all matter around them because they had this truth in their mind. And then having the understanding and the ability to do these things, they then got lost in the physical. So they still had the ability to create from the unmanifest, but they weren't connecting it with the unmanifest. So they were, it was just like they were, they were just popping, popping out all these things without actually remembering that they're, you know, where they're pulling it from or why they're doing it or anything like that. They just had the, um, I was actually just talking to my dad about that. Like society is becoming more of what the show is and less about the substance of the show. You know, like it's, it's all entertainment value and no uh, actual substance. And it seems like that's what they were doing. They were just, you know, 
having having fun with the physical world as opposed to using it as the catalyst it's supposed to be so that you can gain greater knowledge right they they weren't understanding the point of this was their own evolution yeah. they're entertaining themselves with creation for manipulative purposes i guess yeah, yeah it sounds like they being... started at yeah, it sounds like they started having it, and then they started doing it, like you said, to have the, the personal gain. Mm -hmm. So let's finish up the rockness quote now, too. So they said, um, the intelligence of the infinite rockness communicates to its physical vehicle, and that splitting and moving which is desired is then carried out through the displacement of the energy field of rockness from finity to a dimension which we may conveniently call simply infinity. In this way, that which is required is accomplished due to the cooperation of the infinite understanding of the creator indwelling in the living rock. This is, of course, the mechanism by which many things are accomplished, which are not subject to your present means of physical analysis of action at a distance. And then um, Don asked, then the rock was created by thought and place rather than move from somewhere else. Is that correct? And and Ross said, we built the everlasting rock. We built with everlasting rock, the Great Pyramid, as you call it. Other of the pyramids were built with stone moved from one place to another. So there's some emphasis on the idea everlasting rock is something that was not created from the quarries, not from the earth. And then what is everlasting rock? And Ross said, if you can understand the concept of thought forms, you will realize that the thought form is more regular in its distortion than the energy fields created by the materials in the rock, which has been created through thought form from what from thought to finite energy and beingness in your, shall we say, distorted reflection of the level of the thought form. <laughs> I feel like this this might be the secret to understanding what they're what they mean by by, by thought forms and so many other parts of the material too but this is this is such a mind twister for me yeah this Almost. is one of those ones where you read it five times over and maybe get the concept <laughs> that they're putting forth in the first five words <laughs> yeah it seems i know this one reading this again i'm kind of changing my, my tune a little bit from what we were thinking before it almost seems like they're pulling this out of out of the ether so you're creating this in your mind as, as a thought form speaking to i guess that rockness but then manifesting in the physical creating it that way but making the energy field out of it i guess versus speaking directly to like you were saying a quarry field or something like that where where all the rocks are you're more pulling this out of um out of the creation instead yeah if that makes sense <laughs> yeah it would almost be the difference between uh taking a granite mountain and forming square blocks cutting them out of the mountain as opposed to mixing cement pouring cement you know into into a into a form and and taking the elemental and making it what you want as opposed to taking the finished product and honing it into what you want yeah that's the word i was thinking too the elemental initially when we were reading that as well yeah and just for context for people you know the, the word thought form i did a search you know they talk about um Three types of Bigfoot. Um, two were discussed. The third is a thought form. So that's interesting that they don't say the other types are thought forms. It's that other type 
is a thought form. There are many thought form entities in your skies which are of a positive nature and are the projections of the Confederation. Other sightings are due to the inadvertent visualization of your people's optical mechanisms by, of your own government's weaponry. Um, yeah, they talked about also UFO. the and, oh yeah, the UFOs and then the cow mutilations and some of those were were done by thought form right. entities. Yeah, yeah. Um, they talk about Confederation Orion individuals living on Earth visible to us. Um, there are no entities of either group walking among you at this time. However, the Crusaders of Orion use two types of entities to do their bidding, shall we say. The first type is a thought form, the second a kind of robot. And they say the men in black are a kind of thought form ent entity, which have some beingness to their makeup. They have certain physical characteristics given them. However, their true vibrational nature is without third density vibrational characteristics. And therefore, they're able to materialize and dematerialize when necessary. So does that mean that the pyramid blocks are also able to materialize and dematerialize when necessary too? Or is it because this one's an entity, a thought form entity, it kind of gives it that next level, I guess, of creative abilities? Maybe, maybe so. Uh, yeah. But let's, let's, uh, let's go back to this with that in mind here. I'm going to read this again. If you can understand the concept of thought forms, you will realize that the thought form is more regular. It's more, it's regularized. It's crystallized. It's more regular in its distortion than the energy fields created by the materials in the rock. So the, the thought form is more regular in its distortion than the energy fields created by the materials in the rock, which, which would be like the atoms, molecules, which has been created through thought form from thought to finite energy and beingness, and your shall we say, distorted reflection of the level of the thought form. So our distorted reflection of the level of the thought form seems to be our, our viewing it in the physical reality. But maybe the, maybe the, the distorted reflection is the, is the physical reality and the level of thought form is where it's coming from. So they, they said this in a confusing way, but <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think the concept is there, that the concept is the purified thing, and then the manifestation is what we're seeing as a more distorted version of it. I think in other parts, they also talk about, too, the ability um, through faith and will, but at the same time, that singleness of thought, the importance of that. So if you can focus on something singularly, you can basically create that or materialize that, in effect, if you can focus on it for, for long enough. Um, so that's kind of what I picture when I read at least that, that first part of it there. Yeah. So how do we get on the everlasting rock idea? We are, we're talking about gaze at the creator, which lies about the mind by spirit complex of each entity. Great gaze at the creation, which lies about the mind by spirit complex of each entity and see the creator. So this might not be the exact same thing as um, manifesting from a thought form, but this is seeing that everything is manifested from the infinite creator, I guess, kind of going back up the other direction. I think that's how we got on the subject. Yeah, it's like a starting point almost to then being able to, to manifest from there, but seeing the creation 
the creator in everything in creation. Yeah. And they said the fact you gonna say something. Yeah, I, I think that uh, the the big thing that that gets lost on a lot of people, um, and the the way that uh, I've been, I guess, more physically been able to conceptualize the thought is to think of like an fMRI machine, you know, and and they can read your thoughts, so that that puts a physicalness to your thoughts, whereas you know, without looking at an fMRI machine, a thought is a very abstract concept. And that kind of puts it into a little bit more finite terms to where you can start to see where a thought is a thing. It's not just this, you know, this, this abstractness that, that, that runs through your head. It can be measured. And if it can be measured by this, this highly sensitive device, then don't you think it could be measured by the universe around you? You know, like it's affecting the universe around you. And then they start talking about that rock, like that rock is a rock and it affects the world around it. Or you can think the rock into being and the rock was made because sand was compacted and pressure was put on it. And like all these different things, the, the, uh, yeah, the, the energy fields created by the materials, you know, the, the material was created through a physical process. Whereas if you create it and you, you initiate it with the thought process, it says, if you understand the concept of thought forms, you will realize the thought form is more regular, more crystallized, or the way I think of that is it's more pure. If you think the rock into existence, like they said that they did, then it, it is that more pure rock. And that's when they get into studying the pyramids and saying that they were, um, oh, what is the word? What is that D word? What the rocks were made out of it's a very special kind of granite dolomite dolerite maybe it's the type of granite that the that the pyramids are made out of and they said it has like a, a perfect crystalline balance yeah my god get it i hear the keyboard going um i'm just seeing granite limestone uh i thought that it was that the out exterior of the um was limestone it was the less conductive one the interior granite was a more conductive type of granite because they said that basically the pyramid was like like a, an electrical conductor where it was wrapped in an insulator but the inside was the copper you know the copper wire comes wrapped in plastic but the copper is extremely conductive and somebody uh it may have been john anthony west may have been the pyramid code um but they were talking about how the pyramid the rock the interior rock was was thus that it was extremely conductive and it would be like way more sensitive to electrical impulse impulses and and uh, fluctuations around it and then it was wrapped in an insulator and like that's what i'm getting from the two differences of the rocks one can be carved and it and it's subject to all the influences that made that rock whereas if they thought it into being they could think the structural prism of the rock into this perfect conductive form and then put the and then make the rock make the pyramid yeah yeah there's definitely layers to that that were electrically insulating i mean everything is electric you know and, the, and again it goes back to vibration it's you know yeah. everything is vibration 
And then is that vibration electrical vibration, nuclear vibration, visible light vibration, you know, sound vibration, uh, you know, electricity is a big part of all of it because it is like a root vibration, yeah. at least, you know, in, in the, in the, uh, the experience that we're having here on this plane. Yeah. They said that the important thing for the King's chamber position was that um, the entity to be healed had to be brought to an equilibrium. This involves temperature, barometric pressure, and the electrical charge atmosphere. The first two requirements are controlled by the system of chimneys, but they didn't say much about how the atmosphere was electrically charged in the pyramid. So I think what maybe Nick was kind of getting at, I see in 3.6, they start to talk a little bit about that granite and um, how it was contrived for crystalline properties and for the proper flow of your atmosphere via a type of what you would call chimney. It seems like that's kind of the prerequisite to, to that quote you were reading there, Mike. Yeah. Yeah, that one. Two capstones. One capstone was of our design, was a smaller and carefully contrived pieces of material upon your planet, which you call granite. So it's contrived for crystalline properties and for proper flow of your atmosphere via a type of what you would call chimney. Yeah. I don't know if that directly relates to the electrical function, but when you're talking about flow of atmosphere, I guess that kind of is yeah. similar, I guess, in that sense. I forget why we got on this particular subject. <laughs> Yeah, I, I was having just a trip in my mind about that one when we were reading about the uh, that that one right there. Yeah, three thirteen. If you uh, can understand the concept of thought forms, it's it's almost like you have to read this thing, meditate, read it, meditate, read it, meditate. Like you have to. It, it's so almost convoluted because of the syntax of the way that we speak. But it, you know, if you sit and you think about it, there, there's the truth of it comes to you. Yeah. As possible, it needs another comma or semicolon or something. But, yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'm not sure if we'll have time to get to it this time. I was thinking, you know, Andrew just sent me a picture of him in the in the king's chamber of the pyramid. So that was partly why I thought if Andrew's going to be on the call, we could talk about the pyramids a little bit more. But we can we can do more pyramid discussion next time, too, when he's on the call. And oh, yeah, definitely. You can do all that then. Um, and he could give us the firsthand experience of all of it. Yeah. Um, so uh, finishing up the discussion of the exercises, they said the foundation or prerequisite of these exercises is a predilection towards what, what may be called meditation, contemplation, or prayer. With this attitude, these exercises can be processed. Without it, the data will not sink down into the roots of the tree of mind, thus enabling and ennobling the body and touching the spirit. What is what is ennobling definition? The definition of ennobling. Oh gosh, the AI wants to answer it now. <laughs> and ennobling means to take to make someone or something better or more worthy of admiration. For example, a life ennobled by suffering, or her skill and talent ennoble her profession. Um, and the dictionary one says to lend greater dignity or nobility or character to. So. Ennobling the body would would suggest that we're that we're seeing the value of the body, enabling and ennobling the body. 
Yeah, but he's saying that uh, the meditation, the contemplation, or the prayer is what gives you the ennobling or the enabling. It's, it, it's you know, you can have the experience and, you know, you can accidentally be the best person in the world, but to be the best person that you can be in the world and to think about it, to meditate about it, to pray upon it, 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 it that makes it uh, your choice to be that as opposed to just kind of falling backwards in the life. Yeah. Or like if you bought a guitar and you bought the guitar and it came tuned and you could play the guitar beautifully, but you couldn't tune a guitar, you know, you'd have to constantly be given tuned guitars. Whereas if you sit and you meditate and you, you, you do the process of learning how to tune the guitar, you can always play beautiful music because you know how to tune it. You know, you know, I, I stubbed my toe this morning so that I could have that experience so that I would know not to get mad at every little thing, as opposed to stubbing your toe and just not getting mad at it because you're just this footloose, fancy free kind of person. It, again, going back to the intention, like Nathan was saying. Intention and then a kind of accepting it too. I almost tie this back to the know yourself, accept yourself. So you begin to accept that process as well. And that's really the way to distill the true lessons from it too, it seems like. But if it's just a passing temporary, whether emotion, feeling, something like that, it really won't do much for you unless unless you actually take the time to process it and, and learn from it. Yeah. And then that whole process and learning from is the meditation, the contemplation and the prayer. And then the, the learning from it is the enabling and the nobling of the body. I like the saying, uh, I think it was, it was either a Confucius saying or a Buddha saying, but it was, everyone should meditate for 20 minutes a day, unless you don't have 20 minutes a day for meditation, then you should meditate for an hour a day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, settle down and think about what you're doing. Look at what life is presenting you with and learn from life instead of just going through it. So we could jump ahead now. I, this, this might be worth saying more. I mean, this is clearly talking about the tree of the mind that they talk about in other parts of the material too. Um, and it, to me, I thought about this particular quote for so long that it's like, I'm, it's so, it's so plainly obvious to me what this is, what this is saying. I'm not sure if it's so obvious to everyone that, that the mind, the, the deeper parts of the mind are the reason that we meditate is because it's like it's it's this maze of of uh baggage of of why we are the way we are with our the way we use our conscious mind and our behaviors and our patterns and there's wherever there's this lack of crystallization and, and it's just this of when we're back and forth in our emotions and our energy systems it's like that's when the the the, the deeper roots need to be worked on the roots that 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 touch why we're using our body and our spirit in a certain way. So I guess to look a little more at that last part, Mike, that you were kind of talking about this enabling and nobling the body. So would that be more utilizing the body, I guess, as the tool in order to get, get actually make contact with, with the spirit at that point, or I'm curious to break that one down a little more. I think, I think that they're saying, um, the value of meditation 
is reorienting the body and and i think touching the spirit is maybe seen at the other end of the of the tree i guess maybe the body Very and the spirit are, are different different sides of the tree that they seem to talk about yeah I read it's all as, still a mental oh go ahead i i, I read the body as basically the, your your third density experience they were just kind of putting the word body in there but they meant like this physical third density experience yeah that would make sense i was looking at it as a little more literal physical but i think you're right probably and then with what mike's saying too as you go through the different levels of the unconscious mind um in the very bottom then is, is the spirit so that, that would make sense yeah and, and you set these you set this life before you so that you could learn the lessons so that you could greater enrich the spirit and and the experience of of uh of the all of the one and so you know you're enabling and ennobling the body and if you kind of took out body and put in like experience on this physical plane then you're enabling and eno uh, enabling and ennobling your experience so that you're feeding back into the greater tree the the, the roots of mind that you, you know like you're feeding the metaphysical with your physical experience I will I will say that the um, when I spend a lot of time meditating, usually it's like there's some something in me that's kind of like jarred loose, and I I see I see the the potential of what could happen if I make certain actions in my business life, in my notes, if I if I run back to my computer and start typing in notes, like that's to, to me it's like the inspiration that I'm getting in the meditation is causing my body to see be seen in a new way as look at look at what i can do now this is going to be really great if i can get this th done and serve people in this particular way that's usually how that that happens how I, how I interpret that the body is now enabled and ennobled from the meditation inspiring me to to do these things yeah that actually makes a lot of sense i've had a lot of similar experiences that way too quite frequently in, in in the meditations there but it almost seems like you're pulling something back from the unconscious lower levels of the roots of mind to then be able to to use and and to uh to be of service i guess in our in our current uh third density illusion here right yeah yeah it's like we're wandering <laughs> wandering aimlessly until we have the enabling and ennobling yeah and if you think of like the butterfly effect, you know, every decision second to second, it, it, it can echo into eternity and have these just great vast uh, effects later down the line. And that's that quiet moment to sit. I, I you know, if, if you're experiencing life now from moment to moment to moment in this space time, when you meditate, you go into time space. And you're looking at all of the possibilities and then consolidating all the possibilities into you taking that action, which goes into the one that you you saw while you were in uh, time space. And you were like that. That's that's what uh, will greater benefit the all. And then you bring that back into this moment and begin that as the the next um, as the direction that you're going to go in, whether consciously or unconsciously. Mm -hmm. so in form manifesting from the unmanifest or from the time space realm you're bringing you're manifesting then 
whatever you were viewing in that space into our current current situation, I guess. Yeah. And, and even if you don't know what you're manifesting, you know, even if it's just, you know what you need to do next. Like for me, I've come out of meditation with, uh, you know, meditated on multiple things and had thoughts floating around while in meditation and then try and get it to this quiet place. And then when I get to this quiet place, something just comes through and whether it be like a page in a book or oftentimes it's like a session. If I, if I get a series of numbers, I go and I look into raw and see the sessions that it corresponds to. And it can be just infinitely helpful. And you didn't even realize what you were doing, but you could bring it into this moment from the vastness of infinity. And then when you bring it into this moment and you can learn from it in this moment from the vastness of infinity, you can then take that step in, in a direction that you might not have taken. And then that, you know, again, with the butterfly effect, just echoes into eternity and makes this iteration, this go around this life more manifest in that way, as opposed to it could have gone the other way and you just didn't even know it. So I had, um, I had, I had kind of a plan for this that is kind of, and I, I knew this was this was worthy of ninety minutes. We just spent a lot, a lot of time on um, ten point fourteen here, um, and I, I felt like I was being called to bring up eighteen point five. I feel like this is this is appropriate to balance out the discussion, um, and I think this would lead into other things too. Um, in session 18.5, the question was from Jim, much of the mystic tradition of seeking on earth holds the belief that the individual self must be erased or obliterated and the, new, uh, and the material world ignored for an entity to reach nirvana, as it's called, or enlightenment. What is the proper role of the individual self and its worldly activities in aiding an entity to grow more into the law of one? And Ross said the proper role of the entity is in this density to experience all things desired, to then analyze, understand, and accept these experiences, distilling from them the love light within them. Nothing shall be overcome. That which is not needed falls away. The orientation develops due to analysis of desire. These desires become more and more distorted towards conscious application of love light as the entity furnishes itself with distilled experience. We have found it to be inappropriate in the extreme to encourage the overcoming of any desires, except to suggest the imagination rather than carrying out in the physical plane, as you call it, of those desires not constantly with the law of one, those that would be infringing on free will, this, this preserving the primal distortion of free will. The reason it is unwise to overcome is that overcoming is an unbalanced action, creating difficulties in balancing the time-space continuum. Overcoming this creates the further environment for holding on to that which apparently has been overcome. All things are acceptable in the proper time for each entity and in experiencing, in understanding, in accepting, and then sharing with other selves, the appropriate description shall be moving away from distortions of one kind to distortions of another, which may be more consonant with the law of one. It is thus, it is, shall we say, a shortcut to simply ignore or overcome any desire. It must instead be understood and accepted this takes patience and experience, which can be analyzed with care, with compassion for self and for other self. So right away, this one is making me think about 
how we're saying, you know, the love in the moment is is always there. And if we see that our desire is something other than coming from love, then we're turning our back in a sense. When we're turning back on our desires, we're turning our back on the love in the moment that would have inspired that desire. Whether or not we like the desire as being one of service to self, love of self, or love of others, if that if the desire is there, we can at least forgive ourselves that the love of the creator is still whole and perfect. We can accept that there is there's value in in having all the experiences that that we've come here for and to un, to analyze, understand them, and accept them. And then this is so much so much of this just basically what they talk about with the chakra system is just processing the 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 energy of the the lower chakras is, seems to be the primary purpose for all this analyzing yeah, almost, oh, go ahead anyway. i'd say it seems to tie in also with what we, you guys were talking about last week with the adept there that this is somewhat of the goal or or the workings that the adept actually uses too to a certain extent is to distill and to analyze these desires catalysts different things but then to make something out of it and actually view that as an opportunity um, to further know yourself and, and accept yourself in different ways to, to be leading towards, I guess, more of that indigo ray or, or becoming the creator from that, that point. Right. Yeah. The distortion of unworthiness seems to be related to questioning one's desires as being unworthy. Yeah. And so what they're getting at there too, is it seems like if you, attempt to overcome some of these desires in this case, it almost further distorts or further blocks the various energy center that that ties to and relates to. So you may have, well, in this case, overcome some sort of issue or problem you're having, but it's likely that it'll come back to bite you at some point or will come back up in your life if you haven't actually broken that up and distilled the lessons from, from that particular um, desire or issue there. Right. This reminds me of uh, in, in rebirthing, they always talk about how you don't say that you heal the trauma or that you move past the trauma. Uh, you don't use these kinds of words because these, these kinds of words say that, that it is still a trauma and that you've almost like put a callus around it and it's still there, but it's still there and it's, it's, it's form that, that was traumatic in the first place. Uh, it's just you're okay with it now, as opposed to what they say you should say is you should say that you integrated it. You integrated the trauma. You found out why the trauma was there, how it affected the rest of your life, and how looking back and contemplating it, trying to figure it out, can therefore lead into greater um, um, fruitfulness in the rest of your life, as opposed to just having this hard, callous thing that you're just like, okay, been there, done that. And then you go and may repeat it over and over and over again. If you integrate it into your life, you accept that it was a part, you accept that it was something and you see what it was there for. And then you learn and then you move on with your life as it's still a very significant part of your life, but it's not charged in a way that uh, you know can hurt you. It's charged in a way that you can learn and gain from it. You can, you can, uh, use it to your advantage right i think that also the trauma could in that sense be represented by the the matrix of the spirit the archetypal darkness i hadn't thought about that before but they said um the matrix of the spirit is what you may call the night of the soul or primeval darkness 
again, we have that which is not capable of movement or work. So the trauma itself is not helpful um, of to, to, to cause work, but the potential power of this extremely receptive matrix is such that the potentiator may be seen as lightning. In your archetypical system called the tarot, this has been refined to the concept complex of the lightning struck tower. However, the origin of the original potentiator was that in its sudden and fiery form, that is the lightning itself. So it feels like working through our traumas is the equivalent of like lightning striking into our lives, spiritually speaking. It's like seeing seeing the light in the darkness just burst forth from seeing how that, that was used for our evolution. And then the, the thing that just kept popping under my, my mind when you were talking about lightning and all that is uh, the lightning struck the tower, you know, and if you built the tower and you wanted the tower to be there and then the trauma happens, the lightning strikes the tower and it knocks the top off the tower. You can either be like, okay, the lightning is going to just keep striking the tower. Or you can sit there and think, well, the lightning is going to keep striking the tower, but I want the tower to be there. How can I do this? And then you put a lightning rod on the top of the tower and a cable that runs down the tower and redirects the lightning down the tower into the ground. And now your tower stands. It can get hit with a million bolts of lightning that get redirected down to the ground and your tower still stands. You know, it's it's integrating the knowledge from the, you know, quote unquote trauma, the lightning strike and bringing it into your life in a way that allows you to better succeed, you know, in the ways that you're trying to in life. Yeah. Well, they, makes... they inevitably say this thing, significator aspect is the is the sun. So it's like. It's it's like we're bec we're becoming the lightning in some sense that that light is is truly the the, the truest nature that we, that we hadn't hadn't recognized when we were focused on the the darkness aspect of the of the archetype. Yeah, this has been a very real situation for me at least recently here with my brother recently committing suicide there. So it's been a heck of a lightning bolt there, but it's um, been the struggle of then basically move figuring out how to move on, but then integrate this experience in my life as well. So it's, uh, I guess it's very different when it becomes real on that sense, but I mean, trauma happens on many different levels, but it's at least something I can very much relate to here recently. And you may, you know, 10 years down the line, talk to somebody and they may, you know, in confidence, talk to you about thoughts that they're having, and you may be able to bring this life experience to them. And, you know, that person lives for another 30, 40 years and affects millions of people in a positive way, but they were going to stop it at that moment. But you had this moment in your past where you're able to say, let's, let's talk about this. You know, I had this in my past. Uh, I can kind of conceptualize what you're going through. Let's talk about it. And then that simple act again of patience, you know, uh, what was it? Uh, was it 18.5 where he talks about uh, the shortcut is to ignore, to overcome. It must be understood and accepted. This takes patience and experience. You know, if you if you have this in your life and then somebody comes to you and all they need is a little patience from someone else, you may have that, that other level of patience because of your life experiences that the, you know, 40 other people they talked to during that day didn't have because they didn't have that in their life. But you're saying no. I understand where this can go. I've been on the receiving end of when this person doesn't get the patience and then be there and be the patience for that person. 
Yeah, I think you're exactly right. That's something I've been thinking about and contemplating quite a bit recently as well, too, that until I guess you go through some of these experiences or have some of these experiences, it's a lot harder to relate to someone going through a similar thing unless you've had that trauma almost. So, um, yeah, I, I think you're, I think you're spot on with that. Ken, yeah, and you're, you know, you're doing the work to be uh, a strong enough person to, you know, unfortunately take on that, that thing that could be seen as such a negative thing in your life and bring it into your life, contemplate it, meditate on it and think about how it can help you and all of the people around you. So that when that moment comes up, you know, you're like, you're like Yosemite Sam with a quick draw going on, you know, you, you got it and you, you're ready to throw it out there to the rest of the world. Yep. Yeah. I'll try and at least, think of another yeah. quick draw. <laughs> I was I was gonna go like Doc Holiday, you know. I was thinking of another quick draw, but Yosemite Sam just popped into mind. I don't know. <laughs> She's laughing at me because I use Yosemite Sam. <laughs> hey, bring a little lighthearted humor into this. That's good. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I can think of one for my own life where I have driven back and forth to the East Coast so many times uh, in in the tornado season and like the really bad storm season that the probably the second or third time I drove in between down route 70 with a uh, two clouds forming on either side one touched down on the one side and one was getting ready to touch down on the other side and then i was like never again am i making this drive without first learning about these severe weather patterns and just yesterday we got caught in yet another severe weather pattern and i knew like that over there to the left looks really bad and it looks like it's pushing towards route 70 so let's keep our foot in it get on the other side of these clouds and then we could slow down and take a breath. But you know, it, it, all the experiences can be used later in life. If you sit there and you don't just, Oh my God. Oh my God. I almost got blown away by a tornado. I almost, I'm never doing that drive again. I'm never doing that drive again. Absolutely not. And then I wouldn't get to go back and see my friends and my family and you could be paralyzed by it or you can use it to empower, you know, yourself and the, and the others around you. Well, the other side of that too is that it'll continue to keep happening until you actually do that work and, and distill that process right you know the catalyst will continue um into, until you take that lesson from it basically and i know that's another part in there where rod talks about so it's more food for thought i guess at least with some of those type of experiences yeah two by four to the head or however they say it too <laughs> yeah yeah and so i get it, it brings comfort to me that that there's no experience that is not worthy of being accepted, analyzed, understood, uh, with with love and light, potentially distilled from those experiences. Yeah, and we're we're constantly coming up with uh, again. It's easy to see the narcissistic person. It's less easy to see the person who doesn't give themselves enough enough love. It's easy to see the negative things and contemplate them and like, why did that happen? Oh my god. But it's a little harder to have goodness come into your life and sit there and think about it. You know, like someone shows you an, an unbridled amount of love and that raises your spirits and you think to yourself, you know, why? How did they do that? And then you can learn from the good things as well and bring that into the rest of your life. It doesn't always have to be this, this I touched the burner and it was hot. And now I tell people that the burners are hot, you know. Right. And so from every experience, each experience will need to be, this was um, session 49.6. Um, 
this just reminded me of what we were reading. They said each experience will need to be observed, experienced, balanced, accepted, and seated within the individual. So it's actually like there's a there's a location, there's a seating for every 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 one of our traumas, every one of our breakthroughs has a as a location in our energy systems. As the entity grows in self-acceptance and awareness of catalyst, the location of the comfortable seating of these experiences will rise to the new true color entity. The experience, whatever it may be, will be seated in red ray and considered as to its survival content and so forth. Each experience will be sequentially understood by the growing and seeking mind-body-spirit complex in terms of survival, which is obviously, um, to some degree, I think that's the when people are getting into suicide, they're they're having the, the 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 breakdown of the survival concept. Um, initially understood in terms of survival, then in terms of personal identity, then in terms of social social relations, then in terms of universal love, then in terms of how the experience may be get free communication, then in terms of how the experience may be linked to universal energies. And finally, in terms of the sacramental nature of each experience. Yeah, and that's that to me speaks of the um, uh, where they say the these experiences will rise to the new true color. You know, you, you, it comes into you in terms of survival. And then once you can see uh, the lesson you need to learn there, you know, red ray. OK, now it goes to the next true color, orange ray and personal identity. And then once you can. Um, you know, again, I'm going to go back to the crystallizing, like the seeding, the crystallizing. It's it's the getting that energy center to be okay with that experience and learn from it, and then move to the next energy center, and then to the next energy center, and then to find how each experience throughout your life can help crystallize or seat the experience till it gets you to that point of learning from one energy center to the next, and then all the way up. And meanwhile, the creator lies within in the North Pole. The crown is already upon the head and the entity is potentially a god. This energy is brought into being by the humble and trusting acceptance of this energy through meditation and contemplation of the self and of the creator. Where these energies meet is where the serpent will have achieved its height. When this uncoiled energy approaches universal love and radiant being, the entity is in a state whereby the harvestability of the entity comes nigh. So... That's why it's the central lesson, the center lesson is the, the opening to universal love, to seeing love in the moment. Basically yeah. raising your kundalini energy up to, to the heart center and, and activating it that way. Mm -hmm. And the, the crown is already upon the head. You know, that's huge. You have to remember that that's always there. It's just you have to find how to get the connection up there, you know. Yeah. It's, it's like uh, your, your electrical socket is constantly, if it's wired correctly, it's constantly ready to give you energy, you know, and then you just have to plug the device in and then you'll get to use the device. Well, this device is your life. This device is your experience. You know, the potential is always there. It's just you have to make the connection in order to utilize the device, your body, your life, your experience. And that after we die, um, the normal procedure, given harmonious passage from yellow ray bodily manifestation, is for the mind-body-spirit complex to rest in the etheric or indigo body, 
until such time as the entity begins its preparation for experience in an incarnated place, which has a manifestation formed by the etheric energy molding into activation and manifestation. Um, so I guess the, the the violet ray is considered the crown. And I think they said the the violet ray is activated at, at the time of harvest when they talked about the violet body. Yeah, because outside of that, the violet ray is then just basically a readout, right, of your current current state. There's not much you can really do from that point to unblock it or block it. It's it's giving a readout of of where you are in your advancement through the energy centers. Right. And harvest the entity will transfer its indigo body into violet ray manifestation after the person dies. This is for the purpose of gauging the harvestability of the entity. After this anomalous activity has been carefully completed, the entity will move into indigo body again and be placed in the correct true color locus in space-time, in time-space at which time the healings and learned teachings necessary shall be completed and further incarnation needs determined. So I guess this is like we are, we're, we're seeing from the highest perspective, the highest vantage point of, of our experience in terms of the sacramental nature of each experience. I assume that that lens of our reality is there when we're choosing what what body to take on next. So there's really never any loss. Would that be like the higher self, like equivalent to seeing from your higher self standpoint? That's a good question. That might be that might be the case. Because they talked about yeah, the indigo ties together with the activation of the uh, magical personality. So, yep. yeah. Maybe that I can look into that for covering the quotes around that next time. Yeah, that could be kind of interesting to, to see a little bit more because not too many ties, I guess, to the higher self other than the few sections they talk about that and the six density indigo ray bodies and stuff. Yeah. They definitely talk about with the incarnation process that the higher self has a role. Um, and choosing the experiences so that you can yeah. further uh, solidify and crystallize the lower energy centers in order to, you know, uh, get to the level that you were trying to get to when you chose incarnation. Right. Let's see if I can find one of those. And that's, again, going back to the thing we were saying earlier, you know, the, the potential to recognize the love is always there, you know, but you, you don't necessarily always recognize it. The potential is always there to, to learn certain lessons. It's just you have to, you know, contemplate, meditate. You have to start to recognize the lessons. Otherwise, the lessons just come and go like ships passing in the night. You're never going to know what happens unless you sit and think about it. Yeah, you need to put in the work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, intention again seems to be the theme of the talk today. Uh, that's what really stood out to me from that ten fourteen and a number of those uh, quotes as well too, where it just seems like it all kind of ties to the intention and what you were wanting to accomplish from that point too, and having that positive intent the whole time will really make everything into more of a positive experience in the end. It seems, but from that doubling effect standpoint too. One thing I, I I used to wonder if this was like within a certain time frame, <laughs> like if we have an intention for love, 
that's a minute removed from the first intention for love is that exponentially more than if we're waiting a day we feel no love but i feel like this is this is maybe talking about it in a different way where it's not about time it's about intentions that are building on each other and it's just it doesn't matter how long it takes if you continue to build your intentions to be of service and love then you keep on growing in that same way that's an interesting point though because then you almost wonder back to the original quote there where they say the due to insincerities it won't really um degrade i guess that power as much so if you are thinking more along the lines of uh the moment contains love and positively kind of building on that maybe there is a day where you don't think about that at all but you don't really lose any sort of um i guess build up in this case uh, on on the power you gain from understanding that the moment contains love but yeah putting it into time is a little makes it a little different <laughs> yeah I guess I wonder if there's also um, some similarities with what they said about the banishing ritual uh, exercise being done in the same room, having having a cumulative effect too. Because um, I wonder if love itself, when they say love is the, actually we should we should pull up that quote now. Um, um, at fifty five point twenty two, um, they said. I think it was actually point two. Point two, yeah, that was me. Typo. Fifty-five point two. They said, "Yeah, um, every everything that you guys are doing is a subconscious function of the true attitudinal, mental, emotional, and spiritual distortions towards Carla. There is no magic greater than honest distortion toward love." So they are they're always looking for ways to protect Carla more. And and Ross saying there's nothing more magical than honestly loving her, having true honest distortion toward love. Yeah, that 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 just screamed at me first time I read it, and then when I reread it, uh, stop trying to hit me and hit me. Stop trying to think of how to love her, and just love her. You know what I mean? Like you're already doing it. Just stop getting muddled up in the, the details of how you can do it better. Just keep doing it. Right. Yeah. So the way I saw that is you're almost creating more distortions in that love. But the more you think about it, the more you try to analyze it. But if you just simply do the act of loving or see the love in the moment there, you are um, basically ameliorating any sort of other distortions that you would have had before and moving closer back to the original original thought or into love in this case. And, you know, the, the, um, the whole, I've said it before, when you hit the same two tuning forks in a room and you hit one tuning fork and it makes the other tuning fork go, if everything's a vibration, including emotions, including love, then just by having that vibration, you're filling the area, the space with that vibration and other things will take on that vibration, you know, if they're ready uh, and, and you're putting it out there in a pure form. Whereas if you're just sitting there and thinking, you know, when you're sitting there thinking about how can I love more, you're you're kind of putting out the love vibration, but you're more putting out like this wavering between am I loving enough and this doubt, you know what I mean? It's not a it's not that pure vibration. It would be like hitting the tuning fork of some of another tuning fork that is just, you know, like slightly off. And it's not gonna fully take it on because you're not giving the full uh um sympathetic 
uh, tune into the room. Yeah. You're almost shooting yourself in the foot. And I, I, I do wonder, though, if the things like the vanishing ritual were um, like a crystallization of their love into the environment. And they talked a lot about this vanishing ritual exercise they were doing, um, which had a number of prayers around it, too. But they. Um, well, I'll read a couple of quotes on this. They, they asked, how has the use of our vanishing ritual of the lesser pentagram been of any value and what is its effect? And Ross said, this group's use of the vanishing ritual of the lesser pentagram has been increasingly efficacious. Its effect is purification, cleansing, and protection of the place of working. The e efficacy of this ritual is only beginning to be, shall we say, at the lower limits of the truly magical. And doing the working, those aspiring to adepthood have done the equivalent of beginning the schoolwork many grades ahead. For the intelligent student, this is not to be discouraged, rather to be encouraged as the homework, the reading, the writing, the arithmetic, as you might metaphorically call the elementary steps towards the study of being. It is the being that informs the working, not the working that informs the being. Therefore, we may leave you to the work you have begun. And that, and that to me also is speaking of the importance of love as the most centrally magical thing, because truly and honestly being in a state of love, that's, that's the being that determines your, your decision to even do any kind of ritual for protection, that, that love is the, is the foundation point that is determining what, what it is, the energy is. Do you think that ties into then the doubling effect too, though? Like where the efficacy of this ritual, the more you continue to do this, the more you build up that, that power, that intention behind it, it, it becomes more and more efficacious. Right. Yeah. And they 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 said um, if I had to leave the room, um, did this have any effect? And uh, Ross said we're only for the lapse, only for this working. The lapse would have been critical. We're at the only working. If it's the only time they had done the vanishing ritual, it would have been a critical lapse to have to leave the room. There's enough residual energy of a protective nature in this place of working that the lapse. Though quite un quite unrecommended, it does not represent a threat to the protection which the ritual of which he spoke refers. And another time, they said to even do the ritual, um, even if they were not even using it for channeling in that room anymore. Um, I forget where that was, but there was there was uh, this idea of the residual energy um, is like something. I wonder if that's like a metaphysical law that you know the more more energy we're putting in, into it is essentially like this exponential doubling of the of the energy that that we're that we're crystallizing in that room as we and i assume it's the same thing i, I once heard the i once heard the um the channel um cry on say what can we do if, if we have an extremely negative space in our house and he said well just just bring the bed there and have sex there Something like that. I was like, "Oh wow, <laughs> that that is a lot of love that you're bringing into a space when you, when you, when you, when you make love. That's really powerful." Yeah, and then it, it, like that's the initial wiping clean of the slate, and then it's just like maintenance from there. I guess is what he was saying. Yeah. Yeah, I kept thinking of like a um, a greenhouse while we were talking about all this, and if you had like a greenhouse. They constantly had tons of leaves that were going to fall on it and block out the sun from getting to it. 
So every day you had to go and clear the leaves off. If you went and cleared the leaves off of the greenhouse every single day and then forgot a day, the stored up heat within the greenhouse would be able to sustain it for that day that you forgot. As long as you come back and you clear the leaves off the next day, you know, it's, it's not like an all or nothing type thing. Sounds like what they're saying. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's the, again, the intention and the doing the work. And, you know, if you have the intention and you're doing the work, uh, and then you lapse for however long, you know, a momentary lapse, no matter what it may be, if you're constantly putting it in and then you have that momentary lapse, it's not going to destroy it. It's not going to knock everything gone and you're starting from zero again. Right. Yeah. Um, maybe we should, we should conclude this with the discussion of the, of the doubling. Um, we didn't, we didn't go straight into that original discussion yet in these meetings. Um, interesting because it applies to a number of different situations throughout the text when they're, when they're talking about it too. Yeah. So they're talking about empowering the call to the confederation here. Um, and they said, um, the call begins with one. This call is equal to infinity and is not, as you would say, counted. It is the cornerstone. The second call is added. The third call empowers or doubles the second and so forth. Each additional caller doubling or granting power to all the preceding call. Thus the call of many of your peoples is many, many powered and overwhelmingly heard to the infinite reaches of the one creation. And there was another point when they talked about the, the specific number um, they call it the law of squares. Maybe I should search for squares. So if we search for squares, the service available for our offering to those who call is equivalent to the square of the distortion need of that calling divided by or integrated with the basic law of one and its distortion indicating the free will of those who are not aware of the unity of creation. So I guess they're saying that the they're limited by the free will of those who are not aware. Um, but basically the square they, they indicated, um, they said if it was, if, if you were to take um, 10 entities calling with purified will, um, all, all calling in the same manner, they said the calculation would come out to 1,012. So I think that means it's like two squared plus three squared plus four squared. And then you get, once you get up to um, 10 squared, that's 100 plus 900, something like that is the calculation. So then it's 1,000 times as much of an effect with 10 people calling versus one people, one person calling. So it really speak, it speaks a lot to this power of the group meditation and group attention. That book, I think you brought it up last time, the concept guide, that raw resource series, they have a section on the calling there and they actually break down the, the math behind a lot of that too. And they end up calling it sequentially doubles. Um, you can, I have the math out here too, but it's just, yeah, it just shows you, I guess, how that, how that all works and gets to these higher numbers quickly with, with minimal people actually consciously making this calling. Of course, having that intention. 
So that's on their website, llresearch.org, under library, and then the Raw Contact Resource Series. And you can buy this book from them, or you can download the PDF. And then do you know roughly where, where I should look here? Uh, if you go to page 37, it looks like I'm seeing it here. They have the math on there. Yep, yeah, right there. there. So they break it down a little bit for you, too. That makes sense. Okay, times two, not squared, I guess. Times two. Yeah. That's what it is. The square. So the number two turned into a square. There's two dimensions to it, to a square, which is two by two is four. And then add each of these together. So the 10th calling is 512 times two. I see. And this is like, you know, something that just occurs so many times in parables and you know it's 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 the the universe has been screaming at this at us in so many different ways like the the um i can't remember the full story but basically the, somebody asks for payment and they take a chessboard and they say i would like one grain of rice for this square and then double it and then by the by the end of the chessboard they're just they're the the, the amount of rice they're getting paid but it seems so small and inconsequential that you know whatever the emperor or the king or whatever is like, yeah, yeah, I'll give you that. But you start with one grain of rice and then you get to two grains of rice, you know, and, and it just, it's just like this. Then you get the four grains of rice, you get to eight. And, you know, by, by the time you're done the first, um, the first row of the chessboard, you're, you've already gotten to such a number that if you had said to somebody, yes, pay me a million grains of rice, they'll be like, you're out of your mind. You're like, but yeah, but give me one for double on every square on the chessboard. It's just, it's just it just gets to a high number so quickly but it doesn't seem that it does it's it's almost like the universe is screaming at you like just keep doing it keep going because your efforts will echo into eternity greater than you understand that, that might be a good 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 way to end the conversation here that our our power is always going to be greater than we realize to focus our will yeah and even just one person just focused on love. That's all it takes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Any other um, closing thoughts? Any other suggestions, word of wisdom? I'm just looking forward to, to uh, getting a little vicarious experience of the pyramids through Andrew when he comes back next week. Right. Yeah, yeah that'll be great. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I could bring up that picture for us quickly here. He sent me. Share this him in the Great Pyramid here. And he was talking about going to a bunch of different um, ancient, um, you know, mystical places. So I'm sure that he's going to have a whole lot of. Uh... That's a sarcophagus. Yeah. Symbol of the transformation of the spirit right there. Well, good. I guess he found a way to get in there. Wasn't he concerned that they might not be able to see all the different parts of they the pyramid? Did, yeah, they didn't let him in the queen's chamber, only the king's chamber. Uh, I'll oh. see if he has any more details on why that is when he gets back. Oh, and, and uh, I do know, uh, I was talking about it with my, my mom and dad on the way here. Uh, I think it's Wednesday, I believe it is. The date is, uh, let me see. I think it's Wednesday, which will put us at the 21st. 
there's uh there's a lot of celestial alignments happening the yeah the solstice and there's like going to be five different uh planets visible to us and all that and, and that you know there's always there's always some crazy energetic stuff that happens at those times so One go out closing uh, oh, go go, i was just gonna say go out and meditate on it go ahead Nathan. <laughs> yeah uh i just was thinking because the thing we were kind of going around that moment contains love i think one uh item I found to be really helpful in remembering that constantly is putting that on the background of my phone. So I think we all know how many times we look at our phones every day. So when you constantly get that reminder and see that up there, you can then um, have like almost a conscious refresh of, okay, yes, the moment does contain love and take that yeah. into the phone call you're about to answer or, or whatever else happens from work standpoint or anything from there. But yeah, just something I found to be helpful. Yeah. Very physical reminder. Exactly. So change your phone background and go out and check out the planets on uh, Wednesday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, guys. It's been a really great conversation. Absolutely. Yeah, Thanks, thank guys. you. See you, Steve. Thanks, Steve. See you guys. Take care.